Dear God, thank you that we can all be here together today. Thank you for this church, which, are the, which is our family. We pray for everyone in our church family who may be struggling, suffering with illness or family complications. We pray for your touch on their lives and for your provision. We think, we think of our wider world today too. We thank you for the breakthrough and ceasefire that happened between Israel and Hamas. We pray for your peace in this area and that these people would come to know you. We also lift up our leaders in Australia. We pray you would help them to lead our country well. We also pray for our church leaders. Bless Pastor Bill as he leads our movement. Give him the wisdom and grace he needs. Please also bless Pastor Sam and we pray he would know your presence as he leads our church. Thank you that you are always with us and hear our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Heidi. It's my pleasure this morning to introduce Bill. Um, most of us know Bill. He's a good friend, a respected senior pastor, perhaps for one or two visitors. Let me just share a little bit about Bill before he comes up to speak. Bill is the senior pastor at the Seton Christian Family Centre, and this church was a church plant over 20 years ago from the Seton Church, and uh, the CFC down at Seton has planted many churches uh, in South Australia and around Australia now, and, uh, and Bill heads that up. And not only that, but he's also the national leader of our movement, the CRC movement. So Bill does lots of things at lots of levels. I don't know how you do it all, Bill, but you're amazing. We're looking forward to hearing from you this morning. So welcome, Bill. Lovely to have you with us. Thank you. You've got your thing. Right. Good morning. Can I bring this over here? What a joy to be with you. Um, I don't know how I do it either. So I guess if you know you're called by Jesus to do a role, somehow he equips you and enables you, whether it's me or whether it's Sam or whether it's all of you here, uh, each according to their calling and their, their gifting by, by the Lord. Um, yeah, it is a joy. So... Um, I do operate as a lead pastor of the Seton Church, like Sam does here, um, but I, I try and spend a fair bit of time away, and so I'm at here today, and then at Lefevre Christian Family Centre in uh, next week, and then next month I'm in Tasmania with Pastor Norm, and then off to Alice Springs and Darwin, so I try and visit the churches at least once a year, possibly twice a year, um, as well as my CRC duty. So I'm, I'm very thankful. I've got a great team at Seton, um, the four congregation pastors that handle things so well, and I'm, I'm blessed. Um, our Alice Springs Church had a wonderful answer to prayer um, this week. Now you're aware that Alice Springs is predominantly an Indigenous church. It's about 200 to 250 people now connected. And probably 75 to 80% would be from the five or six people groups, First Nations peoples in Central Australia and Northern South Australia. They speak different languages and they're a different group. They're a different nation. Um, and so that they have, uh, many of them been one to Christ. And out of what we're doing in Central Australia, we've got four Indigenous outreaches. Two in South Australia, Ernabella Amata, one in Western Australia, a long by way, a place called Warnan, and then Docker River in Northern Territory, and I hear there's another one starting, led by two women and two men, and they're fantastic. And the women who lead the two churches and uh, uh, undergo a fair bit of psychological persecution from some of the, the opposite sex who don't like women leaders, but uh, Christian Family Centre, we love women leaders, isn't that right? Gosh. And uh, uh, they do a fantastic job. And Alice Springs, we um, have got a stage one and stage two building uh, project. And we bought this property for $550,000. Um, and then uh, we've been able to knock off the debt to about $470,000. And we've, we've now set up the, the stage one, stage two. We took up a special offering. Uh, how many weeks ago, and, and, and you guys gave money. We have raised 
from our collective Christian Family Centre Church is $156,000. And this week, the Northern Territory Government threw in another $100,000. Hey! Isn't that good? Hey! We complain about our governments, but, you know, sometimes they do it right. And um, so we're very thankful with the grant that's coming, which really means that we can get Stage 1 pretty well up and functioning and so we're moving quickly with the local government to get it done. So that's going to be a... We don't know the implications of this. Indigenous people like to have a physical place. Land, facilities are really important to them, far more than white fellas. And so uh, we think it's going to become a lightning rod for uh, the peoples of Central Australia will see that as a home away from home, a ministry centre. So we could have hundreds, if not thousands, of people that will come to Christ purely because of a facility. It's different. We think differently. When I go to Ghana, how they plant churches there is they first of all go into a village and build a physical facility. They buy land and put a building up. There's no people. Because the people think it's not a church unless you've got a home. So you put up the place and say, oh, you believe in us. Oh, okay, you're really serious about, you know, Spending, spreading the message of Jesus, and they come along and they get saved. So culture is different, you know, and, and so we have to respect that. And so we're really thrilled. So thank you for your generosity towards Alice, and, uh, and I thank God for the provision that we can now get moving uh, in that, which is, uh, which is terrific. And 10% of our funds, whether it's here, Hills or uh, Seton, 10% of our funds uh, are not used by the local church. We put 3% into our CRC movement, which is required of all churches that belong to our denomination. So that goes to fund our denominational, state, national initiatives. And then 7% goes into the Christian Family Centre Churches Fund. So 7% of your tithes, same as it goes into there, and that's how we're able to plant churches and support ministry. For example, in Alice, we support Ben, the pastor, Ben Matson two days a week out of that fund. Uh, we've been able to lease a property in Darwin for the new church that was planted on Zoom during COVID. Started with four people, and now there's 65 people. And so we've been able to... They didn't have the finance. So, out, so, so, so really, you are planting churches out of your giving. And so as you give your tithes, with that 7%, all of us together, we're, we're able to, to do that. So working cooperative together is, is wonderful. And then Sam and the leadership team here are responsible for managing the 90%. And myself and our team at Seton for the 90% under the board's guidelines of how we operate financially. So it's, it's a joy to be part of something that is moving forward. And I want to share with you some thoughts on a biblical picture of revival. I wrote a book on revival. This is it. It's 17 messages over the past 20 years that I've, I've done about 25 to 30 messages in our state and national conferences that I felt would be ideal to, to understand what revival is. Personally speaking, how do you know if you're revived? And I'll talk a bit about that today. A local church, how can it tell if it's revived? And also movement. And uh, so they're available at the back and I'm happy to sign them for you. And my other books are there as well. I don't receive any money from books. I, I, to me, it all goes back into the publications account. It's, it's a labour of love to try and help. But this will help you understand what I believe about revival and a, a biblical picture. And, uh, and, and, and I encourage all Christian family centre people to really get a handle, to understand, OK, we, we are a CRC church, but we have a unique group of values and a specific vision, and it's tied into church planting, world missions, and being New Testament in our orientation. Um, so revival, the biblical picture. Some people say, oh, revival. Bill, you're talking about revival. It's, it's all of God. Now, you know what? I've got this, and I've got power today. So I've sacked David. I've been wanting to do that for 40 years, Dave. Uh, which button do I press, son? <laughs> I said to, um, at our state conference, they used it. I said, I like it. And my team go, no. I said, yes, I want it. So they're going to get me one too. So some, God have mercy on us, Kathy says. Um, so some say revival, it, it, it's all of God. Bill, you can do nothing about it. It's just God does it. 
It's up to him. He initiates it. He doesn't. Has nothing to do with us. You're praying, you're believing, you're planning, you're all that stuff. Others go, nah, it's all of us. Give me a break. And the Americans, see, see, it's all of God is very British. And if you know the the and European, it's very British. But the Americans go, no, 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 come on. Revival, we can do it. And so um, so you pray, you plan, careful, prayerful preparation. It's all of you. And when you do that stuff then God will turn up and revival occurs. Which one is right? Don't answer me from the floor. <laughs> it's a rhetorical question. <laughs> and um, when I ask the question, it depends on what congregation you're in, you get some great responses. But is it, I'll take that back. Is it all of God? Is it all of us? Look, there, there are paradoxes. In the Bible. You know what? It depends on what pair of glasses you're wearing. I read the New Testament. Man, it's all of God. Then I put on, get my eyes tested, get a new pair of glasses, and I read it. It's all of us. I think, is that a contradiction? That's just a paradox. It's a bit like the Trinity. God is the Father. God is the Son. God is the Holy Spirit. Do we worship three gods? We worship one God. But there's three persons and they're distinct. But there's one God. One plus one plus one equals kids. <laughs> we all need to go back to primary school. One plus one plus one equals three. So that's the logical, rational dimension. But the Trinity is one times one times one equals one. How many understand it? How many understand it? You're perfectly clear. Good. I don't. I've been a Christian for 50 years. I accept it, though, because it's taught in the Scripture. Same as with, with revival. It's a bit like salvation. You know, the great divisions within the evangelical Pentecostal church of how do you get saved? Is it all of God or is it all of us? Well, Charles Spurgeon gave us the great illustration. He said, it's a bit like you're walking through a door... And it says, whosoever will may come on top of the mantle. Yes, I've repented, I've believed, I've put my trust in Jesus. I'm just thinking what I have done to receive. You walk through and then you're enjoying God and you look back and on the other side it says predestined before the foundation of the world. Predestined before the foundation of the world. And then when you're in you think, oh, God knew me before I was a twinkle in my daddy's eye. He knew me before the world was created. I don't get that. I've made a decision to respond to Jesus' offer of love and forgiveness, but then it says he chose me and predestined me and he knew I was going to make the decision. Do I understand it? No. Nope. Do I accept it? Yes. So these paradoxes are there because if it was all so crystal clear and logical, you wouldn't study, you wouldn't pray, you wouldn't need faith. Simple as that. So... What's my position regarding revival? It's this. It's all about God working through us, okay, people who follow the Christ-centered, Holy Spirit-empowered and word-based pattern of the New Testament. He's given us a guidebook, the New Testament. There's a pattern there. And when people see that it's God working through us, People who follow Christ, who tend to be Christ-centred, cross-focused, Holy Spirit-dependent, the day of Pentecost is we celebrate it today, and who follow the pattern. So what are the signs from my reading of the book of Acts and the New Testament letters? There are several signs that, that you're on fire for Jesus. I'm on fire for Jesus. I really am. I'm 67 years of age. I've been in the faith for 50 years. I'm more on fire today than I was from the day that I got saved. And I think that should be the pattern for all of us. Think back to when you got saved, how in love you were with Jesus, how you came to know him. He's actually saying to us, this needs to be the pattern. But it's a mature love. It's not a... 
a childish love. It's not a child love. It's a mature love. You deepen. There are seven signs. What happens to you when you actually get personally revived, when you receive a fresh reviving touch from God? And in this, these things I'm going to say, you can evaluate yourself. My challenge is one to ten, each one. Am I a six? Am I a four? You can't be a one and you're not a ten. Okay, it's impossible. No one's had it all together. And none of you are a one because you wouldn't be here. I mean, you're here because you love Jesus, you love the church, and you want to serve his purposes. And so you've got to be somewhere four, five, six, seven, I don't know. But if you're below five, as I'm talking to you, just say, Jesus, help me to get above the line. I need you to help me become a six or a seven. Because some of you, you might have gone a little bit down. It's a bit like if you look inside my body, it's a raging furnace. If you could see a furnace there, it's like it's full of wood, just the word of God, and the oxygen of the spirit is flowing and it's burning. I look sometimes inside some people's and I just see the furnace is there. I can see some glow. The coals are not quite burning. It's, it's like it's a low M, it's, it's a low rate. They're never out because you're saved. But, oh, man, we need an injection of wood. We need the flow of oxygen to somehow cause this thing to come alive. And some of you need some fresh wood inside of you. You need a fresh word from God. You need a fresh move of the Spirit within you so that you come alive and the furnace becomes hot and productive and light comes and heat and blessing. So what are the signs? The first one is you're aware of sin before Jesus. You really um, are aware of your personal sinfulness before Jesus. Um, Isaiah said this. I love this. Isaiah 6. Woe to me, he says, I cried. I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He has a vision of Jesus, Isaiah. He's a young kid. The first five chapters are really negative of Isaiah. A bit like Romans 1, chapter 1, right through to chapter 3, verse 20. It's all like the sin of man and the down and the consequences of sin and what's going to happen if you turn your back on God and, and the, the devastation that's going to be caused. And so you read Romans 1 through to chapter 3, verse 19. You go, man, this is depressing. This is dark. Paul's trying to paint a picture of darkness. And Isaiah does the same. But then he has this vision of Jesus and, and he's been condemning his people kind of like they're this, they're that, they're that, they're, they're oh God, you know, like almost like you des- they deserve punishment. But now he has a vision of Jesus and he sees his own sin, which is interesting, and he doesn't condemn them. He doesn't want to see them judged and cast into hell. And this is the true nature of a Christian is that he cannot condemn the sin of the world and say, well, I'm, I'm okay, Jack. They're terrible. I'm glad I'm saved. I'm better than them. No, 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 we're not better than people out there. We just have found the bread of life. We've just received the water of life. As Billy Graham says, you know, we're just one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. And we're so thankful. We're not better. We just have a Jesus who makes us better and who is better and can save us and transform us. And so there isn't a spirit of condemnation towards the sins of the world, even though we get disturbed by some of the things we read and see and and occur. And you think back to your own life, where you were before Christ. Well, Isaiah here, he says, it's us. He says, woe to me. For I'm a man of unclean lips, I live among a people of unclean lips. And, and he says, my eyes have seen the king of glory. He doesn't condemn them. The scripture says this, for everyone has sinned and missed the mark. We've all missed the mark. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, the ideal he has for us. Guys, I don't know how long you've been in the faith. I've been 50 years, some of you have been longer. There's something perverse within us. And it's bad. Jesus forgives us our our sin. 
He sends us through the death of Christ on the cross, his blood was shed. He sends, the resurrected Christ sends the Holy Spirit to liberate us from the power of sin. Okay? But the sin principle still stays within. It's just that now the impulses of sin, we can receive the impulses and strength of the Spirit to rise above the impulses of sin. So he delivers us from the power of sin, and one day when he returns and wraps things up, he'll deliver us from the very presence of sin. But sin is very real. I can prove it to you. If someone had a can of paint and we painted that wall at the back there and said, do not touch, I guarantee half of you perverse people (laughs) would go up to it, you'd look around to see if anyone's looking at you, you don't believe it, you'd go, oh, it is wet. We like the forbidden. Don't do that. You want to do it. I take my son to go to Baird's Bay. Now, Baird's Bay is in, is in Udnewupup. You know where that is? It's like five, 600 kilometres away. Three people live at Baird's Bay. It's a huge bay. Fantastic fishing. King George Whiting, this big. Oh, maybe that big. Anyway, you know, Sam, it's... Best kept secret. My dad fished there for seven years, from 1938 to 1945, throughout the war years. So Joel and I went there, and there's a seal colony there and a dolphin colony. They live out just the entranceway. There's huge reefs so the sharks don't come in, and it's a sea colony. I didn't realise that sea lions, only about 20,000 of them alive, they were killed off, and most of them live in South Australia, Kangaroo Island and up the coast, and a few in Tassie and some in Western Australia. So they're protected. So you can dive in the water. So being brave, I said, son, you go. I'll watch from the side. So he goes miles away from where the three people live. So we had a hired car from Port Lincoln. We drove up there, beautiful car. And I said to the lady as Joel was there, I said, how can I drive around there to see the little island where the... the..." Oh, yes, you can. She goes, but when you get to the cliff that turns around, I don't recommend you go in there. I said, why? She goes, people get bogged. Oh, okay. She said, just don't go there. And if you get too close, you think the sand is okay, you're going to go down. Well, anyway, Joel comes and says, son, let's go in the car, let's go and see it. She says, don't, I do. And so we drive and there's the cliff. And I said, she said we shouldn't go past. He goes, oh, come on, Dad, let's just do it. I said, yeah, let's do it. I just need a little bit of encouragement, a bit of anointing. And so the sin principle kicked in and I go... You know what happens? We got bogged. It was the mother of all bogs. It's five o'clock. The tide's coming in. The water's coming in. There's nobody around. And I'm thinking, oh, no. I can just see it. Tide's coming in. The car's going to be washed out into the, the, the Great Australian Bight. Kathy's going to kill me. It's going to cost a fortune. In, in insurance won't cover stupidity. And so... And so I'm thinking, oh, I don't know what to say. My Joel, he's trying to dig the thing out. The more he's put the stuff in, <laughs> he, he lets out a few expletives. They weren't Christian words, but anyway, I won't repeat them. And he's frustrated. And I'm thinking, oh, and I just, in my heart, I go, Jesus, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry for being an idiot. I should have listened to what the lad in my heart said. Oh, I'm repenting. I'm like, I can't be so stupid. I've ruined a good holiday. I said, Lord, just have mercy. And as I came, just, Looked up, I saw a little glint. I thought, what is that? I said, Joel, what is that? Miles away, I see a little light. Here comes a car with a fishing boat on top. And I go running after them thinking, they've got to ring streaky baits about an hour and a half away, get the RAA to come before, uh, get the sea rescued, get the, you know, like, I need help. And out comes this lady. And... uh, They're they're fantastic people. I've got their names down here. Yeah, Gilbert and Karen from Myrtle Bank. Myrtle Bank. Gilbert and Karen. And and Karen goes, I will get you out. And she just took charge. We moved aside. And I don't know how she did it. She and her husband pulled the car out. And I said, what are you... Didn't even ask what they're doing there. Like, what are you doing by the... I'll quickly go to my wallet and I'll pull out 50 bucks. And she goes, no, 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 we don't do it. I said, no, no, take it. Spend it on, on your kids. Thank you, thank you. And then they left. I reckon they were two angels. Gilbert and Karen from Myrtle Bank. God had mercy on me. So, but you know, what a lesson. How thick we can be. We think we're so smart. We think we're so spiritual. You let the sin nature kick in and they say, don't do that. 
And, and if you, you, the temptation is you want to do it and you'll get yourself into trouble. So kids, listen to what I'm saying today. Revived Christ followers must never forget their past condition to fully appreciate their present state and the eternal place that we're heading. Never forget your birth name is sinner. It's your adopted name that is child of God. Know where you've come from. And you need to keep your focus on Jesus, the great forgiver, the presence of the Holy Spirit to keep that sinful nature under control and dealt with. You can't change yourself. Only the Spirit can empower you. So the second thing is that on-fire Christ followers are willing to confess to Jesus. You heard what I just said. I'm confessing to Jesus. I basically admitted my sin, my pride, my stupidity, and I threw myself on his mercy and out came two angels from Myrtle Bank out of nowhere. It's amazing. Hey, there's a great story in the Bible about a sinful son and a good daddy, the parable of, of the lost son. I mean, you know the story in Luke chapter 15, this good dad, and Jesus is giving us a picture of what our heavenly dad is like, and this boy, who we thought was good, but he became very self-centered, and he wanted his inheritance before it was ready, and the father gives it to him, and he goes and he spends it on wild living. The older brother says, let's cut to the chase. He's with prostitutes. He's getting drunk as a skunk. He's on drugs. He's, he's a bad boy. So the older boy says, he ain't good. And he blows it all. And he's so hungry, he's actually watching pigs eat. He's a Jew. Jews and pigs don't mix. And he's watching the pigs as they're eating rotten lettuces, fungi-riddled carrots, stomach churning, and he lusts after us. And he says, what am I doing? What am I doing? He slaps himself a bit like I did. He goes, how stupid am I? And he starts confessing, God, I've been stupid. I've got a fantastic dad. I'm going to, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm going to go back to my dad. I'm going to apologize to him. And I'm going to say, just treat me like one of your, one of your servants. I don't even deserve to be your son. I'm coming home and I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. He came to his senses, it says. He came to his senses and he starts confessing. What an example that real remorse leads to genuine repentance. So you can have remorse that you're sorry you're in pain. You're sorry you got caught. You're sorry for its effects on other people. But it doesn't change your mindset to say, well, I'm really going to confess that I'm a sinner, that I need grace, that I need help, I need support. A person who's battling with alcoholism or, or drug addiction or any kind of addiction, the first foundation is they've got to admit and face up to that they're out of control. They can't control their lives. And they need to then say, I need help to be able to get out of that. And this is the Christian principle. Revived Christ followers never graduate from facing up to their sins and their sinful leanings and fessing up to Jesus. Do some of you need to fess up to Jesus today? If you do, this is what he promises. He says, if you confess, John says, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just. I love that. He is faithful and just to cleanse us from all wickedness. How's that? Forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. What a fantastic scripture. If you confess to him, He's faithful and just. He'll forgive you your sins and he'll cleanse you from all wickedness. Now, if you've done that, then you go back and start punishing yourself, start remembering your sin and woe is me. You know what you're saying? God, you're not just, you're not faithful. He is faithful and he is just. He will do it. So we don't live in our the consciousness of our sins. We live in the consciousness of trusting Jesus. We embrace a repentance lifestyle and live in the grace of Jesus' forgiveness. And don't doubt his faithfulness. Don't doubt his justice after you've confessed your sins to him. And then thirdly, there's this heartfelt gratitude for Jesus. When you're revived, you have a, a love for Jesus. You love him. 
You love his salvation. You love his forgiveness. Your, your heart is full of gratitude. Have a look at this prodigal son. It says, so he got up and went to his father. So this kid's remorseful or he's in pain. He faces up to his sin. He fesses up to God and, he said, and, he, and he, he's remorseful. And he goes to his father with no, no strings attached. And the dad, look at the dad's response. So while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. It's like his daddy's looking out for him. Who is that? A bit like that glean in the thing. What's that coming towards me? It's like his dad's looking for him and he sees. Oh, it's my boy. Love fills his heart. And he starts running towards him. And what does he do? You rotten little sneaky runt of a boy. Are you in trouble? Man, you can come back and you're going to be... Blah, 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 blah. No, none of that. doesn't even remind him of his sins. He's not into punishment. When God sees a repentant heart, a forgiving spirit, a, a, he just rushes in with great love and great forgiveness. And this daddy is amazing. He was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Jesus is telling us, this is what our heavenly dad is like. Wow. To be hugged and to be kissed by your heavenly dad. That's salvation. That's feeling the embrace of love personified. In Psalm 2, it says, kiss the son and live. I love that because kissing has to do with intimacy. And, and so to, to put your trust in Jesus requires intimately placing your heart in his hands, safe pair of hands. He says, come on, give me a kiss. Let me kiss you. Let me hug you. That's what the Father does. I don't know what your image of God the Father is like. Even as I'm saying, you might think, oh, I think God's standoffish. I think he's stern, he's got a stick, he's looking out for my sins, ready to clobber me. No, 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 no. He is close to you. He is loving towards you. And he so wants to embrace you that when you come confessing, he doesn't remind you of your sins. Forgiveness and power comes to the contrite heart, to the humble heart, to the honest heart. And have a look at... What, what the dad says, he goes, bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You know, fervent joy arises naturally when you're spiritually revived. It just, your heart is full of gratitude. How can you sing those songs that Sam and the team led us today? My wife and I, we have some needs and we're praying and, and we have a song. So those songs just help us. We put our arms around each other and say, Lord, touch that person. We know our hearts are full of gratitude for his salvation, his healing, and you can't help but want that for other people. You, you're just thankful. You're just so thankful. Real enthusiasm carries you along and it's not manufactured. I'm not talking about a fake enthusiasm. Again, the great Spurgeon said, he goes, feigned enthusiasm makes me sick. Inauthentic worship that's plastic, that's just for outward show, it's sickening. I'm talking about real, authentic gratitude and fervour in your hearts and expresses itself in singing and praise and worship and thanksgiving and a heart towards other people. And where there is revival... Songs from the heart express gratitude. I love music. I've rediscovered music. When you go through the valley of the shadow of death, as I did a couple of years ago, didn't know whether I was going to make it or not, I'm now so grateful. I think, oh, I'm alive. I can serve Jesus. I'm getting my strength back. Some things I can't do. Oh, I can tell you some stories. This leg doesn't quite work. I cut so much out of me. They burnt so much of me. There's things that I can't do. But you know what? When I start getting a self-pity party of what I've lost, I say, get over your break. You're alive, son. The gift of medicine and the gift of prayers has saved me. I've got a great wife. I've got four fantastic kids. I've got 
seven and three-quarter grandchildren. One's about, ah, life is good. I've got a great church, people that love me. I can serve him. I can still minister the word. I'm still a little bit enthusiastic. And (laughs) gratitude, thankfulness. Don't focus on what you don't have. Focus on what you do have. Music, song. In the car, I've got these fantastic hymns and songs and I'm in the shower and I've put them on this morning, I put them on. I'm just there, great, till Kathy says, you're too long in the shower, you're costing us electricity and water. What's the matter with you? That's how she talks to me. She doesn't talk to you like that, she talks to me like that. <laughs> I love it. Then, okay, in the car, worship. Just songs. You know, that, you know God's a singer. He's a singer. And more than that, he sings over you. I so wanted to see Judy today. I said to to Dan, I just wanted to give her a word. I'm saying, the word is God sings over you. He's a singer. He loves you. He's so pleased with you. Incredible loss. Incredible loss and grief. But he's carrying you and he sings over you. I can prove it from Scripture. It says, for the Lord your God is living among you. He's living among you, Judy. And he is a mighty saviour. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. He sings over you because he sees your faith. He sees your humility. sees you. You're a winner. You're not denying your loss, but you're going forward. You've got fabulous kids, terrific grandchildren. You've got so much to live for. Isn't that right, everyone? Don't you think she's a great example? Let's give her a clap. Hey. I wanted to do that. I didn't know what I was going to do. I just said, is your mum going to be there? I said to Dan, because Dan's sitting on our board as as an observer. And uh, I just think, he sings. He sings over you. He's happy about you. Fourthly, when you are a revived believer, you become more reliant on him. You get wholeheartedly converted and reformed. Christ is in you through new birth, but you allow him to take over your life and to make the house of your life his personal home. And for some of you, he's in you. You're letting him, you've let him in, you're saved. He's got to be in. But there are a lot of rooms, there's some rooms there that you, they're your rooms. And it says, do not disturb. Don't come near. Are you allowing him to make out of your life, the house that he's living, a home in all those areas? I discovered years ago that the power of addiction, when people are addicts, when the sin nature is out of control and people uh, become addicted. I didn't quite understand it, but through reading and talking with people, I thought, why would you keep doing that? Why would you keep taking poison in your life and thinking you're going to get better? It's because their addiction has become a friend. It's a dear friend. It's It's a comfort. It's a comfort to them. And, and it's a matter of, of saying, you know what, that room in my house, that's mine, nobody knows about it because it's my comforter. It's where I cop out. It's where I escape. And so addiction has to have secrecy and to have power over you and it, it has to become a friend that you don't want to give up the friendship. And, and so if you're struggling with any addiction, You've got to come to a place where you allow Jesus into that room and realise you've got to give up that friend and make him your friend and welcome him into that room of your life. And you know what happens? You don't have to try to get free of addiction. You allow Jesus through his patience and kindness and power, all of a sudden light and life comes when you yield and submit to him. How many ex-alcoholics and drug addicts and relationship addicts Sex addicts, gambling addicts, that have said, I don't know what's happened, but I was like, I'm free. How did I get free? Because you submitted to Jesus and you opened that door of your life. You've shared with somebody. You've got rid of the secret. 
Demons live in the darkness and the secrets and, and try and hide and deceive and, and manipulate. When you bring things to the light, the Holy Spirit of love floods your heart. And so you, you become more reliant. When you're on fire for Jesus, you become more reliant on him. Galatians 4.19 says, My dear children, for whom I travail, in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. My youngest daughter's about to give birth in the next few weeks. Oh, but I've been there with four of my kids when Kathy was, had the four. And I tell you, it was hard work. I never sweated so much in all my life. <laughs> no wonder they call it labour. It's hard work. My respect for my wife went, and it's secret. I'm going, God, thank you, you've made me a man. <sighs> oh, I could not die. I couldn't do that. So my respect for women, fellas, isn't that right? You respect them and go, whoa, man, alive. But you know the travail. When Steph was born 40 years ago, 41 years ago, I mean, she didn't want to come out. She loved it in there, but her placenta was dying. So she's running out of oxygen and they didn't know what to do. They didn't have all the technology they have today. And so we... She was in the hospital for a couple of weeks and the local doctor, wonderful doctor, but she said, I've got to get Adelaide's top specialist. A Greek man brought him in, fellow Greek. He looked like he'd just come off a fishing boat. <laughs> he, he, singing a song as he's coming in. I said, he's Adelaide's top? Yep, Dr. Svigos. Some of you may know John Svigos. Whoa. And he said, okay, what's up? Finds out. Looked at Kassar and he says, we're going to be okay. We're going to get that baby out today. And I'm there, wow, what confidence. He looked at me and says, who are you? And I'm there, I'm, I'm the husband. Oh, you're the big, I won't say B, that caused all this. <laughs> so that put me in my place. I thought, okay, I better f- sit down. And, uh, but, you know, the travail, the pain, the difficulty. You'd think Kathy would be focusing on the two weeks, three weeks, when that little baby was born, you, you've got to see the joy, the tears, the, 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 the great love. That, that child has, has come and you forget the pain. Well, we do as fellows anyway. But the, the worth, the value of this beautiful baby is just so overwhelming. What a relief. Paul says, I'm, I'm in the pains of childbirth. Until Christ who's in you, I want him formed in you. I want him in every department of your life. And this is what the fruit of the Holy Spirit is. It's, it's like the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Again, such as no law. Law can't change your heart. I can say, don't do this, don't do that, don't be more loving, be more faithful, be more kind. It means nothing. You need Jesus in you through the Holy Spirit, but you need to cooperate with him and say, Lord, take over my life. Be formed in me. You've got to admit to your poverty spots, your lacks, where you're unloving, where you're not kind, where you're out of control. See, an addict is out of control. They're out of control. No self-control. Impulse, see, feel, smell, taste, they're off. That rational dimension's gone. There's no self-control. Only Jesus can build the self-control into us. So the more we acknowledge we're out of control, the more we acknowledge we're unloving, the more we acknowledge where we're unkind, where we're not patient, then we lean into Jesus and say, Lord, I need you. And the more of the fruit of the Spirit you will experience in your lives when you Admit to your lacks and face up to say, Lord, I need you. That's how revived Christians do this. They they want Christ to be formed in them. He heals our souls. He heals our past traumas. You've got to read Kathy's story in The Me I Can Be. Many of you have got that book, Chapter 3, where she shares her story. And and she shared it at uh, at Albury Church about how to be healed of trauma because her father would beat her, beat her, beat her, beat her as a little girl. Terrible violence and the post-traumatic stress that, and, and the things that, and how, how she got free of that is, is through leaning into Jesus and trusting the Holy Spirit to build into her what was needed to get healed of trauma. Jesus heals our traumas and uh, uh, whatever's happened to you, 
child sexual abuse, violence, people cursing you, kind of negative stuff. You can be healed of this through Jesus Christ, through the new birth and through the Holy Spirit in you. The more you lean on him, the more you submit to him, the more you face up to those things that are lax, the more he's going to change you and grow you. Praise the Lord. Number five, passionate about friends knowing Jesus. When you're on fire, not only do you, it's not just saying, well, I just want to be the best Christian and be the most fruitful Christian and, and, and the most loving and kind. I want to be somebody who loves people. And you're passionate about friends coming to know Jesus. You develop a passion for people. We unleashed Alpha on, on the Seton Church this first term. We've got all our small groups to do Alpha. We Alphaized our people. Have you all done Alpha? You've done Alpha? It's fantastic. I went through it again. I thought, this is awesome. One lady, she's 80, she's putting, in se- she's putting seven people through it, one at a time, in her home over coffee. That's the best way. I hadn't thought of that. I said to people, maybe you need to get a group. No, groups, groups of non-Christians gang up on you. Get one at a time. <laughs> coffee. Kill them with kindness and coffee. One at a time. Come on, Alpha's fantastic. If you love your non-Christian friends, they're going to a Christless eternity if they don't come to Christ and we must be reaching out to them. And we prayed as a church and we said, Lord, open doors by which we as a community in Seton can better minister to our people. And we prayed that prayer and, and ministered to our community. Thursday I get a telephone call and the team discussed it. The little baby that was murdered a month ago Little Kobe. They wanted me to do a commemorative service. Gave me two days' notice. This Holden Car Club. You know, there's a Holden Car Club. All the Ford lovers hate them. <laughs> 4,000 members. They got the idea. Let's do, a, let's do a car rally. Where's a big car park? And the lady lives around the corner. Goes, oh, the Christian family, that's a good church. Let's just use their car park. Then she goes, so why don't we get the pastor to... To do something, put some candles up and not believers. So I find out about it. <laughs> I said, and the team go, Bill, I think this is one for you, not for us. So anyway, cut a long story short, we had 100 cars there, probably 150 to 200 people, you know, raising money for domestic violence. And, and the mum was there incognito, the press was there and all that stuff. You might have seen a bit of it on TV last night. And, um, but I said to Cathy and our team, and it was just interesting, my team members that rushed to help. Some didn't rush to help. Interesting. I'm too busy. I've got this, I've got that. I'm busy. I'm off to Sydney Tuesday. I've got to prepare on Monday. I thought, when do I get 200 non-believers to a meeting wanting me to... And I didn't know what to say. And I said, so I said, you've got to contact the mum. So they contacted the mum because the person running the car rally didn't even know it. I said, you've got to contact the mum and, and I've got to make sure what I say is appropriate. Does she want me to say anything? She sent me something. Beautiful young girl. And uh, she was there incognito. And I was able to talk to her, introduce her to Kath. And, 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 uh, but, you know, I just, I'm high over that. I had 200 people sharing Jesus and a little bit about the love of God. And I looked that mum in the eye and I looked at everyone and said, that little, I don't know what you believe. I know what I believe. That little baby is in the presence of Jesus and is safe and secure. An act of evil took her out of this world, but a God of love and care has got her. And you're going to see her again, mummy. You're going to see her again. And she's kind of welling up and, and, and giving people hope, showing a bit of love and, and, and inter- helping them to understand faith. Oh, there's nothing more exciting, isn't there? Get excited. You've got friends that need to hear the message of love and hope and faith through you. You're the only Bible they've got to read. God's placed you in their lives. You're the only person that could introduce them to Jesus. And when you're on fire for Jesus, you're looking for the opportunities to go and tell them to your friends and, and, and to invite them to come and see. Come, come and see the, to the church. Most people don't come because they're not invited. But they will come if they're invited by somebody who knows them and they trust them. If you go to a complete stranger, no, but if they know you and they love you and they trust you, you invite them, 80% come. They'll come at Easter, they'll come at Christmas, they'll come to a special event, baby dedication, water baptism, they'll come. Be confident. Love them. 
Let the love of Christ flow through you. Yet when you're on fire, you're passionate about letting your friends know about Jesus. Look at Isaiah. I love this. He says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? (laughs) And who will go for us? And he said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people. That young boy became one of the greatest preachers of the Old Testament. He ended up dying for his faith. The Holy Spirit will guide you and will empower you in your going out. Sixthly, you're hungry to live out Jesus' word. This is when you're on fire. You're always wanting to clarify the essentials of your biblical faith. Your faith is a biblical faith. It's not a faith in faith. It's not a a faith in a a make-believe Jesus, in a Jesus of who you think he is. And people, non-Christians at times justify their lack of attending church and, I hate church, I can't stand the church, but I love Jesus. Hey, how can you say, I love the bridegroom, but I hate his bride? Say that at a wedding. I love the bridegroom, hate the bride. You can't love the bridegroom and hate the bride. Jesus loves his church. He loves his church. And so it's the Jesus of the New Testament. And he says, you want to be a follower of mine, you've got to be in connection with community. You've got to be with other people. It's the Jesus who says uncomfortable things, the Jesus who says radical things. It's like, uh, I don't see him as Jesus meek and mild. Little tame pussycat. Meow. No, he's a lion. Like C.S. Lewis painted. Aslan, you've seen the film? And that line. But remember the, the, the line that says, he's wild, but he's good. He's wild. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah, but he's good. You can place your trust in him. He's a safe pair of hands. And we get to understand when you know your faith is based on the Jesus of the New Testament, I tell you, when you get grounded in Scripture and you take those Scriptures and you use them as the foundation for your life, real life change occurs. The promises that are to be believed, the promises, the commands to be obeyed. And finally, real on-fire Christians are authentic worshippers. You're committed to authentic worship. Yet a time is coming, Jesus said, and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. Heart worship involves surrendering our lives to Jesus and being totally committed to helping people. You cannot be a true worshipper and be a different to the needs of people. It's just impossible. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and strength, Matthew 23. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. Who's your neighbour? People think, oh, it's just that person who I don't know across the road. No, your neighbour is your wife. It's your closest friend. It's your child. It's your uncle. It's the people you're developing relationship with. And it can be neighbours who you need to get to know. I've got to know my neighbours in recent last couple of years and, and really got to know them, developing relationship with them. Not to preach to them. Let them read this Bible. And I trust that they'll come with they'll ask me, Bill, what why did you become a preacher? Why what what's that all about? Authentic worshippers continually surrender their lives to him. And they're committed to helping other people because worship always leads to to ministry. And love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and the second is like it, love your neighbour as yourself. Worship, ministry are linked. But if you're involved in saying just being, doing good, that's why the social gospel is hopeless. Divorce from the, the, you know, I mean to justice. That's, That's my Christianity. You know, Kevin Rudd, his great statement against Scott Morrison, well, I'm just into justice, like, yeah, well, so is everyone. But are you into Jesus, man? Stop criticising him because he's Pentecostal and you don't like him. I'm just into justice. I mean, my gospel is a social gospel. Well, sorry, Jesus said the gospel starts with a relationship with God, loving God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind. And out of that comes the power and the energy and the love to be able to love my neighbour and I will pursue justice, but I'm not going to become a bitter, twisted person 
because I see the evil and the nastiness around about. I can't solve every problem, but I'll do the best I can out of my worship of God. And so ministry flows out of worship. When you're an authentic worshipper, you want to serve. Sam won't have to twist your arm, fellas, to turn up to do a working bit. Come on, let's knock down this wall and get expand this thing. If he calls for painters, if he calls for workers, do it. Serve. Serve the church. Opportunities. Create new ministries from this facility. Man, what an opportunity. Now you have your own home. Reaching women and kids and elderly and, and, and infirmed and needy and there's opportunities and use the facility for his glory. It's a ministry center to help people. That's what authentic worship is all about. Let's stand together. And the muse, if you'd like to come, that would be great. Oh, I'd like to lead you in a prayer. I could go for another two hours, but I can't. Hey, you've got to get my book and read the whole thing. What is the Lord saying to you? What's he saying to you? Have you evaluated yourself? The one to ten? Are you acutely aware of your personal sinfulness before Jesus? Are you willing to confess to him your sins to Jesus? Is your heart full of gratefulness, thankfulness, that he loves you, that he's forgiven you, that he's saved you? Are you saying, Lord, I want to become more reliant on you. I need to get wholeheartedly reformed. I need the fruit of the Spirit to overtake those areas of, of lack and poverty. God, give me a passion for my friends. I want my family members, my children, my grandchildren, my uncles, my aunties, my friends, people I associate with to come to faith. Help me, Lord. Open doors of opportunity for me. Or are you indifferent to people knowing Jesus? No, you might be a four on that. He's saying, I want you to be a six. Come on, let's believe together. Are you hungry to live out Jesus' word? Or are you just emotional in your experience rather than word-based? There are promises to be believed and commands to be obeyed and, and to be an authentic worshipper where you are saying, Lord, with all my heart, I surrender and I make myself available to adding value into people's lives to help them. Help me to be a minister in your church and a missionary in your world, Jesus. Father, touch everyone here this morning. Help us to apply your word. Help us to take stock and to see where we are on that continuum and if we're, we're, if we're threes and fours in areas. Lord, we don't pray that we become a nine to ten. We pray, help us to shift to at least a five and then to a six and to warm us up. Lord, we place new logs in that furnace and we breathe into it oxygen of the Spirit to, to bring fire, to come. It's a raging fire within. It takes time, but Lord, help us. If you're identifying one of those areas or two of those areas, just talk to him now. Talk to him, yield to him, submit to him. Father, touch every person. I'd like you to do something while we're all standing here. You can look at me if you like. I like this action. This message is like, if I had an altar call, I'd get off here and come out the front. Oh, I'm an eight in this or I'm a six and I need to be a seven. We all would be out the front, right? We'll all be on our faces. I'm assuming that. I'm a fairly spiritual person, but I see, I see my lack. I, I, I need him. What I like to do when I worship is have my hands like this. I just saw Mike doing it and it triggered it off in my mind. I'll tell you why. This is not good. I'm boss. That's no good. I'm looking for your sins. Judgmental. This is surrendering, saying, Lord, I need you, Jesus. 
And there are areas in my life I need to surrender. And more than that, it's actually how you receive a gift. You need the Holy Spirit's gifts. It's the day of Pentecost. You need the Holy Spirit who's on you and in you to empower you to help. You can't do it on your own. This ain't a self-help gospel. This ain't a psychological trick. Do these three things and you'll have a better marriage and you'll be you need Jesus, you need the Holy Spirit's gifts to build into you what you need. So if you'd like to, to do this, all of us, just, just lift your hands and say, surrender to him. And receive from him what you need. Father, as we lift our hands, we surrender to Jesus, your son. And we now yield to him and to your precious Holy Spirit who represents Jesus, who lives in us. We say, Lord, make your home in us. We receive those gifts that we need from you to be able to be revived and on fire for you. Let's sing the song. words. One for Andrew and Ali. And that's your eldest daughter? You were just a little kid last time I saw you. We haven't talked for a long time, but I've got this feeling like it ain't finished yet. What God has planned for you. There were circumstances that intervened and you made the right decisions. It wasn't the wrong decision, but there's, there's another step forward. It's got to be the right time. You're in this perfect will, but be ready for it. It's going to come. Be ready. Prepare yourself. As you're surrendering to Him, just be ready. It's going to, I don't know what it's going to happen, but um, I see that. I see that. Just be ready for the leading when it comes. It'll be clear, it'll be unmistakable, but uh, you're not treading water. This is actually a, a time of not just readjustment, but a time with your children, you've got, you're involved in the church, you're on the leadership team, you're teachers, all that stuff. But there, there's something that he's not finished with you in relation to a bigger scheme of things at the right time. If something's going to come back, he's going to open a door. Enjoy his will. You're in the centre of his will. But be open for that change. Um, I see the young man with the hat over here. Don't know you. But you know what I see in you? You're really eager. You're eager. You're eager. You're open. And that's the most important quality. An openness to Jesus and the eagerness. It doesn't matter about your past. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you've been. It's where you're going that counts. And you right now are opening yourself to him. And, and you don't know what he can do in you. As, you. as I saw you with your hands surrendering and reaching out to him. Don't underestimate what could happen from a promise that comes like a bullet into your heart from today's message. And you grab it and apply it and let the spirit of God put oxygen in. And there can be something that, that, that happens. But he loves your eager, your open. You're going, you're going to receive the answer to your prayers. It's going to happen. Hey, don't judge yourself. Don't focus on the past. Don't even focus on the present in one sense. Just He's got a fantastic future, but this is a process that's taking place. So I see that very much with him. Whether that makes sense or not, I don't know. Um, it, look, if my, if my thoughts are weird and wild and I've made it up in my own mind, throw it out. If it could be something of the Holy Spirit that confirms something in you, then pray and, and, and reflect on it. Praise the Lord. Narina, I've always felt you're a bit of a prophet. I, I've, very few people that I, and both Kath and I have said this a few times, when you prophesy, people listen. There's an authority and a conviction and a passion and an authenticity that comes because it doesn't come out of 
it comes out of a pure motive, a heart that loves people. And I don't know whether you're prophesying or whether you've put this gift on the back burner. I don't know. You might be doing it. All I see is you've got it. It's there. And those gifts are without repentance. God doesn't give a gift and take it back. What we have to do is obviously stir ourselves and to to move into that. So I see you. And and, and, uh, as someone who can speak quite insightfully with great wisdom, discernment, and understanding and love into situations that other people can't see and can't outwork. You can cut through with that gift of prophecy and helping resolve some matters in people's lives. And so I encourage you, prophesy. Prophesy. It's good to speak in tongues, Paul said, but it's better to prophesy. Speaking in tongues on our own, fantastic. But in the church, it's better to prophesy, to speak intelligible words that can actually make a difference in people's lives. So that's, that's my encouragement to you. It's been a joy to share with you. And uh, I'll be at the back out there if you want to get the revival book. Hey, I read it the other day again after I wrote it. I said to Kathy, I've got this book. It's fantastic. Have you read it? I hadn't read it for, I hadn't read it for a second. I thought, hey, I learned something. I, I wrote, I didn't, I learned something. I thought, oh. So anyway, God bless you. It's been a joy to share and minister to you. Thanks, Andrew. Well, thank you, Bill. Thank you for that message. And I touch you've been, I, I trust you've been touched by the richness and the stories and uh, that encouragement to let Jesus come into every room in our lives and that he, he's a safe pair of hands. You know, things work out well when you let him into those rooms. And that's wonderful. So... Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Kathy, for coming this morning. Um, that brings us to the end of our service this morning. So please join us for coffee. Um, the music team's just going to keep playing for a little longer. If you wanted to stay and worship, um, there will be some people in the prayer room. If you would like someone to sit with you and, uh, and pray about anything, that's there as well. So have a wonderful week. Be blessed and uh, God bless. Thank you.